Welcome to the Fit Mind Project. My name's Barry Ash, and along with my wife Laura Ash, we are the founders of Rock Solid Health and the Freedom Programs. We believe that everybody should have access to a simple and supportive way to transform their health and their well-being, both physically and mentally, so we can feel better than we currently do. Our aim is to bring together a community of like-minded people who want to transform their habits and their behaviours using the rock solid method so they can take ownership of their health and their well-being. With this podcast, we're going to be having conversations with some amazing people that will help and inspire you to take back control of your lives. As we believe, when we are healthier, we are happier. This episode, we're having a conversation with Steve Carr. Steve is a mental health workplace well-being and suicide trainer and as we're heading back to the workplace but we still got this covid over our head our stress levels and our anxiety levels are still climbing so in this episode steve shares his story which is amazing also steve talks about some coping strategies that we can bring into the workplace so we can help that return to work and make it so much easier So let's head over to the conversation. Guys, welcome to today. Uh, Monday morning, bright and early, which is always good, um, I think. It's my favourite day of the week, Monday. Yeah, exactly. Badge, you're so positive. Um, <laughs> I'd love to be positive and negative. Very makes true. Me, makes me feel better. Very true. And guys, today we are joined by somebody who has been an inspiration to me and Baz. And not only is he that inspiration, but he's also, you know, a good friend of ours as well. Um, today we want to introduce to you Steve Carr. Um, and Steve is a mental health workplace well-being and suicide first aid trainer and the stuff guys that steve is doing um when it comes to mental health and well-being in the workplace is just phenomenal stuff and stuff that i feel that we absolutely need and every single workplace should be having this without a shadow of a doubt and i think by the end of this um session you guys are going to see that and definitely want to speak to steve so uh, steve welcome to today welcome 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 thank you thank you for having me here today guys when you said that i inspire you that that uh, the other way around you inspire me when, when i see your videos when i see how positive you are i love your energy absolutely love your energy so thank you for having me here today i really appreciate that thank oh you. Thank this is you. so great because if, if you inspire us we inspire you let's inspire yeah. the rest of the world eh? absolutely. that's awesome absolutely absolutely so guys um steve without further ado i'm going to hand over to you and I just want you to tell us your story as to how you've come to be sat here teaching and talking about all of this amazing stuff. And uh, Yeah, it would be an absolute pleasure. Um, again, thank you for having me here today. I think it's important that I give you and your audience, your listeners and everybody a little bit of context as, as to why I do what I do. Um, there was almost a time where I wasn't in this position. I wasn't sat here. I wasn't here whatsoever. Um, so let's take you back a few years. Uh, in 2015, I experienced a nervous breakdown whilst 
I was at work. Now, that wasn't the beginning of things. That was just an incident or something that happened at that period because of something that happened 25 years prior to that nervous breakdown. So it was a, a traumatic experience that happened to me when I was just 15 years of age. So at 15 years of age, uh, my brother killed accidentally uh, by a drink driver along with five other children that were all sat on a bench. And that sudden traumatic loss um, not only affected me, my family, but it affected the entire community that I was in. At the time, in 1991, um, it wasn't as easy as it is now to get professional help or interventions or any type of support. It was looked upon that it was a weakness. Um, you, were, uh, you were looked at that you were different. There was so much stigma at that time around mental health um, that people were scared. They were scared to ask for help. And subsequently, because we didn't, and my father chose not to go for the help because at the time he thought he'd be able to manage the situation, um, it, it, things just turned terribly bad. So within a year, my parents had divorced. Um, within a year, my father asked me to leave the family home uh, because I was, I was becoming unruly. So I turned to a life of drink and drugs to mask the pain and the trauma of that sudden traumatic loss. Um, I used to share a bedroom with my brother and I thought he was weird. I'll be honest, I did. He used to listen to heavy metal music and I used to listen to rave music. So we were like totally different on music genres and I thought he was weird. Now though, love it. I absolutely love heavy metal, so it's kind of like gone full circle. Um, but again, you know, the, the sibling rivalry is that we used to beat each other up, we used to do, you know, the, the, some stupid stuff. And I just remember that morning that he said to me, um, do you want to come and meet me where he was that evening? And he was in the open. I just remember it, September the 13th, 1991. And that was the very last time I was in like I say, I'll take you back to the part where I said about the um, experience in the nervous breakdown at work. That event didn't trigger until 25 years later. So if we think about the current situation that we're in, this, you know, this pandemic that we're in, we're currently experiencing a global traumatic crisis. Now, unlike the, um, uh, the, the economy crash in 2008, which just affected primarily just England, this will single person on the planet. It will affect everyone in some way, shape or form. Um, there's going to be many people that have lost loved ones, uh, uh, friends and family instantly. Um, and they've not been able to see them. So you imagine this right now. You've, had, you've got a loved one, your partner, friends or family, and they've just been told they've got to go into hospital because they've got this, this, you know, this COVID-19. And you don't see them again again how awful must that be yeah. so now it is just so so important that you know the, the things like what you guys are doing and what i'm doing you know looking after our well-being our mental health and our wellness so coming back to the story of having that nervous breakdown at work and why i do what i do now is simply because when i experience a nervous breakdown at work 
there was no such thing as mental health first aiders or employer assistance program. Um, so there was nothing there or nobody there, no allies, nobody there that I could talk to. And so when I was signed off work, what I did then was nothing at all. Um, I literally, I couldn't do a thing. I was bedridden. Um, I was in bed every single day, struggling with my mental health and depression. And I wouldn't go out until it was dark because then nobody else was around. Um, the, the most I could do was barely eat on a daily basis. And I lost so much weight because of it. I then went back to work a month later. Went back to work and because I couldn't, actually discuss what was going on because I couldn't tell them. I'd been diagnosed with borderline PTSD, high functioning anxiety, work-related stress, depression, unresolved childhood trauma and addiction. Wow. They put me on a performance improvement plan because my work was, it was dramatically, the, the, the perform, my performance was dropping. But because I couldn't tell them what was going on, it wasn't the kind of place where I could have this conversation. I was working in middle management. Um, I don't know if you guys know, but it's highly pressured. Um, and I was out on the road every day and there was nobody that I had a connection with. And so I dealt with all of this on my own. At the time, I pushed all of my family and friends away because what I failed to add was that I was struggling with that, that, at that time that my brother had died when I said I'd taken on, I was taking on a life of drinking drugs. I had been taking cocaine from the age of about 16, 17, all the way until I was 39, which was just five years ago. And that was just to mask that trauma and that pain. Um, and I couldn't tell my employers what I was going through. I couldn't tell them that I had this addiction. So I, I literally had this face that I was bringing to work and I had this, you know, this other part of who was this this person at home who's completely different so it's lived kind of two lives so can you see why that breakdown then happened yeah um you know everything that's going on plus the work life as well nobody to talk to so within a month of going back managed out of the business after being put on a performance improvement plan now in hindsight that was the best thing that could have happened to me um because I was a weight to the organization. They didn't know what was going on. So they just thought, well, this guy's, you know, he's obviously taking the nick here. Um, let's get rid of him, which organizations do, especially if we haven't got that place to be able to talk, to open up, to say, you know what, this is what's going on for me. I need help. Yeah. It's difficult enough to ask help, but if we haven't got those people to help us, like the mental health first aiders or EAP, where do we go? Who do we speak to? Men tend not to say anything anyway, because you know, from a young age, many of us have been told to, what's, what's the saying, guys? You know it. What is it? What, what do us boys get told when we start? Man younger. up. That's the one. Yeah, man up and stop being such a girl. And we suppress those feelings and those emotions and we keep them packed. We don't talk about our emotions, even when times get tough. And then what happens? Well, it just it just escalates from there, doesn't it? So all the things that I was hiding, all the things that I 
couldn't talk about. I've never been shown how to express my emotions or be able to talk or to share feelings. And um, it led to a point where that same month after I'd been told that I don't have employment, um, I attempted to take my life by suicide multiple occasions, three in the time. And that was when I knew that something had to change. I didn't tell my doctor or my GP that I had this addiction. I didn't tell them that I was you know, in, that using 100 pounds of cocaine a day. I had to go back again and, and just sit there and be completely vulnerable and honest and say, if I don't get the help now, I don't think I'll be alive this time next week. Um, and that was a my journey. That was when I chose to walk England. Um, I had £100 left, literally £100 left to my name. Um, and I walked the entire length of England um, in recovery, taking the holistic approach to cure, to find out what help was available for me others. Now, this is quite a story in itself as the reason why I chose to walk England. Okay, so here's the story of why I, I walked England, because this part I haven't told anyone yet, oh, um, but it's all coming back. So, um, when I was a nervous breakdown at work, I live in Crend, and um, after I had experienced the breakdown and I had been sacked, I had to claim benefits. And so I was off work, sick, claiming benefits. And I was renting a room from a friend, and uh, it was a Friday afternoon, and I got a call from the Department of Working Pensions. And they said to me, uh, Steve, we haven't got your sickness, so we can't pay your rent. We can't pay your, you know, we can't pay your benefit. Um, so I thought, oh crap, what do I need to do then? Uh, so they said, look, you need to go to your doctors, get your doctor's note, get your sick note, sign it, come back to us, we'll put it in and we'll process it. You'll be paid within the next couple of hours. Now, bearing in mind, this is three o'clock in the afternoon and they close at six. Wow. So I've got three hours to get this task done. So I went to my doctor, got my sick note. Uh, they had it ready for me, took it back to the Department of Working Pensions. It was all done by half past four. Said, Great stuff. We got it, Steve. We'll call you in a little while to let you know your payment's gone. So half past five comes around that very evening. Still nothing has gone into my bank. I'm sat next to my landlady and I've got a bit of people here going on. And so I've got her money worth £100, but that's not going to pay my rent. Um, and so I rang the department of working pension. Now, bearing in mind, like I say, they close at six. So I phone at half five. I'm on the phone till five to six and somebody picks up the phone and immediately puts it down. <gasps> and I'm there going, ah, now what? She sat next to me. She's not looking happy. I'm to tell her what's going on. So I explained what's gone on. And she sort of said, well, you can't afford to live here then. Now, this was February 2016. And it was cold. It was wet. Yeah. It was horrible. So with my last £100, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go and walk the country because I can't afford to live here, but I got a tent and I got a few bits and pieces. And that was the day I put on social media. I was going to do it. I had no plan. I was actually, I planned to do something a month later, but it wasn't Walk England. 
No, it was well. just to go and do something to help myself and others, maybe do a bit of volunteering. Um, but it happened that I thought, I'll go and do this because I needed to get away from me. I needed to go and find me. I needed to get away from um, the environment that I was in and all the people I knew that I was currently spending myself with because all of those things contributed towards where I was, environment, where we know well being the seven dimensions, you know, the physical, the spiritual, the financial, every single aspect needed to change. So that was when I packed everything, put on social media that I was leaving. Somebody from GWR read the post and gifted me two tickets, one to get down to Land's End and one to get back from John Groves. Wow. So that was the reason I did the walk. That's where it all started. I just want to touch on something you said there, uh, Steve. Get away from me. I hear a lot of people, I just need to get away from me. But wherever you go, me comes with me. And so how did, how did you do that? How did you get away from me when you done the walk? Yeah, and, and that was a very good question. Um, getting away from me, and the reason why I said that is because I didn't like who I was. Um, I, I was a completely different person to the person that I am now. I was angry, I was agitated, um, I was defensive. I was all the opposite things of what I am now um, because of all those traumatic experiences, the, the traumatic upbringing. I was a horrible person to be around and I thought, how do I just escape me? Um, and it was by going to get help, it was by giving, it was helping the charities, helping the soup kitchens every single night, finding a different way to live, finding out what all those subconscious beliefs were, finding out how the brain works, finding out where this all started. So that person that I was that I didn't lie, um, it was almost, I was like a, a, an exact copy of what my parents had taught me and their upbringing. And I needed to escape that, I needed to break that chain. I didn't want to continue being in that, uh, that drama triangle, that trauma cycle. I needed to break free. Um, so I needed to find out if it was possible to create a new life. Wow. And it was. That's what... I mean, that's a whole like podcast in itself about that. I mean, how long did it take you? It took exactly 90 days. Um, w literally, and I was out in temperatures at minus three some nights, um, just sleeping in the tent. But what I wanted to do was, uh, when I said to find out what help was available for me and others, I had no plan. Everything, the whole thing was just get up every single day um, and see what happened. The only thing I did do was this. Um, was I planned to go to two different organisations every day. One for those helping people that were in a similar situation and struggling with the mental health. But two was to help and to give back. So um, of an evening, what I would do, because I had such a small budget, was I would help serve at soup kitchens. Um, and in return, I would ask them if they had any food left at the end of the evening, could I be fed? Um, and so this is what I did literally every day. Um, and I was getting my basic needs met, which were food, shelter, and water. Um, and I knew that I could walk. So, you know, that my basic needs were being met. Um, but yeah, 90 days from one end of the country to the other, carrying this 25 kilogram backpack. But that, kilo, that, 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 that 
really reminds me about that journey because the, the further I was going along on that journey and offloading what I was offloading, talking to people, um, uh, it's a great metaphor that of the, the, the backpack was getting lighter too because it was just so heavy I was finding ways to get rid of stuff I didn't need yeah, um, yeah. downsizing but offloading stuff I didn't need yeah. and it was gradually getting lighter that walk was getting easier people went in and by the end I knew how to ask for help and because I was able to find out who I was and ask for that help by the end of it I was able to ask for real help because my journey of help, of helping myself, didn't begin until I finished that journey. Because prior to that journey, I didn't know how to ask for help. That journey taught me one massive lesson, which was the more I ask for help, the easier life gets. Yeah. So Steve, I want to stay on this journey because I think this, this is fantastic. I love these, these journeys, these um, self-discovery journeys that people go on. What would you say was your best experience of that journey? And on the other flip side, what was the worst experience that you had on that journey? Okay, there's so many great ones. That's a really good question. I'll tell you a couple. The first one, um, when I was in Penzance, got down to Penzance, and um, I was just walking along late at night. Uh, I think it was about 11 o'clock at night. I was trying to find somewhere to camp. And um, I came across this unbelievably lush, flat, green field. And I thought, this is the perfect place to camp. So I got my tent out, put it up really late at night. And I couldn't really sleep because it was so bloody cold and it was wet. It was horrible. So half past five the next morning, I get up, start putting all my clothes back on, and I'm packing the tent away. And this guy's walking towards me. I thought, Ooh, what's going to happen now then he said um excuse me do you know where you are penzance he said yeah penzance golf course no you might want to pack his there were a couple of those there were a couple of those um, but but another experience down in penzance before i ended with a good one um when i got down to penzance um I received a telephone call um, from a, a, a friend who I had delivered a talk to his, his niece two weeks prior to leaving on the journey about, you know, about experiencing a breakdown and positivity and getting back into work afterwards. And um, I received a phone call from him. I'm on, actually on Penzance Beach. That was the very first night that I camped out on Penzance Beach um, in, in the tent. I managed to break the very first night. Um, I was right through the bottom of the tent and it was like sleeping in a crisp packet. It was so noisy. Um, so I'm in this tent and I get this call and um, he said, Steve, uh, where are you? I said, Penzance Beach. He said, okay, I need you to sit down for a moment. Okay, what's going on? He said, um, he said Sabrina, the girl that you gave the talk for a couple of weeks ago, yeah. Um, he said, I'm afraid I've got some bad news. He said, um, she passed away two hours ago. Now, bearing in mind, she was only 28 years of age, um, but she was struggling with um, not only just her mental health, um, but with her heart as well. And um, she had had a heart attack two hours prior to me getting to uh, where I was walking. And she was following the journey, so that you know, for the beginning of that journey, 
um, it was everything that I was dealing with, plus I received that bad news. So for the entire walk, I knew that she was with me. Um, I knew that her spirit was with me for the entire walk because there was a point in that walk where I got hit by a car and um, I got up afterwards literally it hit me over into the road I got up afterwards and I was perfectly fine the guy gets out and said you okay I said yeah look I'm perfectly fine um, you only hit my leg bounced off the car but I said look there's no point calling the ambulance I'm okay you're going to be late for work I'm going to stop my walk if you know if there was a problem but there's not so let's go about our day um, and I, I swear that she was with me at that point, just my guardian angel at that point looking after me the entire journey. Who do you know that could walk a thousand miles and not get any blisters on their feet? No, wow. We yeah, done 35 kilometers and I had no toenails left. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Wow. So, I mean, Steve, I can see now how passionate you are about, because obviously, everything that happened to you has been a knock-on effect. And do you feel if people can tackle mental health in the workplace, that we can prevent a lot of things from, from happening? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. If we go back to part of my story where I said yeah. there was no, but I had no allies, there was yeah. no mental health aid or employer assistance support yeah. in place. Now, knowing that we've got those, things have changed dramatically within the workplace in regards to mental health. Um, where the social media and also, you know, uh, people like the Royals are now allowing us to have these mental health issues, these mental health problems, and not be scared to tackle those head on, to speak about those. It's more spoken about now, more accepted. There's still stigma, there's still discrimination. Um, just last year, I worked within the NHS as an individual placement support team manager. And this was managing a team of employment specialists, getting people back into the workplace after they experienced mental illness or poor mental health. And what we had to do at this point was educate the employers that there's no difference to a person that was struggling with their mental health or has a mental illness because the chance to somebody that hasn't, because the chances are that person has got a well-being plan or an action plan for when times get tough. Yeah. And a lot of employers aren't aware of this, that by creating that plan, that well-being plan, that recovery plan and the plan of reintegration back into the work, it actually takes the stress off the employer. So what we were doing was educating the employer and the employee at the same time that the importance of having a plan. Now that kind of goes against everything that I've just told you because at the time when I did my walk, I didn't have a plan, right? Yeah. It was difficult. It was tough. I didn't know one day to the next what I was doing. If I said to you guys, um, do you have a plan for the day? What would your response be? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. And are there days where you don't have a plan? Uh, I, I always have a loose plan. There's always something that I need to strive yeah. towards complete in that day, whether it's the weekend, whether it's a work day, whatever it is. I've always got a loose plan that I need to do. Yeah, absolutely. And how good does it feel when you get through that plan on the daily basis and start ticking things off and go, actually, it's not as stressful because I've got the plan there. I love I know what I'm doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And prior to my breakdown, I never had a plan for anything. I winged every single day. My life was loosely based on surviving as opposed to thriving. Yeah. 
Now, now, oh gosh, quite the opposite. I have a plan for nearly every hour of the day. Just quite simply because I want to get the most out of life and I want to make it as easy as I possibly can on myself. So what I do now with employers and what I don't do now with employees is create these plans. Plans for what happens when you aren't feeling yourself at work. What can you do? more importantly because it is a shared experience or a shared responsibility what can your line manager do now there's small things that we can do let's for reasonable adjustments let's say if you're in an office and you're facing away from a window but you really want to face the window but you don't know how to ask for that you can work with your line manager with this plan to say well actually all i want to do is look out the window it's a beautiful sunny day and that would make me feel happy But I think there's this misconception about making reasonable adjustments in the workplace is going to cost the organisation thousands of pounds when it doesn't. It could be something so small. Yeah, absolutely. I I, I mean, I've been there myself, um, you know, with with my employers and stuff. Um, And it is just about making those small reasonable adjustments, isn't it? Mm. Um, And I know when we did your um, Wellbeing in the Workplace course, that's one of the big things that we took away was, you know, having your plan and then making, you know, small reasonable adjustments to make sure that, you know, you can manage your day because a happy worker and a healthy worker is going to be more productive, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, without a shadow of a doubt. But I think that, again, there's not been anything like this previous to this, which is, you know, there's never been an understand, a mutual agreement or an understanding between employer and employee. It's been right, you're working nine till five, here's your set lunch hour, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah. Um, that, that, that's changing, you know, that, that, that environment of more apathy than empathy is changing. And this is what we need to do. Make sure that our people, make sure our people are looked after because people aren't robots. People yeah. aren't machines. You know, we're emotional beings. There's going to be times at work when things get to us. And if there's anybody that hasn't experienced this, I'd love to meet them because they probably are a robot. Um, But yeah, we all need some kind of strategy for when things aren't going so well. So what I did when, um, after I came back was started creating a wellbeing plan that was actionable for me, that was bespoke to my needs that I could share with my employers. And initially people used to ask, well, why did you do that this way? Or why did you do that way? I said, because it keeps me well because it makes me happy and because I enjoy doing it. And right now, the most important person in my life is me. So if it makes me happy, I'm well, I'm more productive, and it works well for you too. Ah, okay, well, we see how that works. So what do we need to do to help keep you well? So I think employers need to recognise that the mental health and well-being of their staff is their biggest asset. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Go on. No, go on. <laughs> I, I, I think the language we use is, is, is key here as well, because we all talk about mental health, mental health, mental health. But after speaking to you and doing your course, we talk about mental well-being. Yeah. And I think this is a really interesting topic that we can bring in, I think, because mental health people are so scared of, because oh, I don't want to go there because it might unravel a can of worms so to speak but mental well-being it's a little bit softer it's a little bit easier to understand and i think we can actually start moving forward with the well-being rather than the health 
So what's your thoughts on that, Steve? Yeah, absolutely. I think that is fabulous. You know, even I've moved away from the mental health or mental well-being to emotional well-being. Yeah, or emotional health. Yeah. Um, just because you're right. You're absolutely right, Barry. That first word, mental. So, you know, when we did the course was, when I say mental health to you, what's the first thing you think about? What are those words? What are those stigmatizing words that we instantly recognize? When we say the word mental, what comes up? What are the images that come up for you? So we look at emotional well-being. And like you say, mental well-being, because well-being is multidimensional. It's not just about how we, how we are up here, it's about everything. So going back into the story when I said I had to get away from the environment, the people around me, the financial issues that I was in, and I had to look at all seven of those um, dimensions to get me back onto an even keel. So we need to look at every single aspect of that. And I think that's fabulous what you guys do because not only do you look at well-being, but you look at wellness. So the two are so closely linked, you know, our wellness is about our physical health, which has an impact on our mental well-being and mental health. But I think people aren't aware that there's, there really is a difference between well-being and wellness. Yeah. And I think when we start understanding this better and we start seeing that it's not just about mental health, that's just the terminology of emotional well-being, we can start seeing people in different ways we can see the person comes in with a broken arm their arms are sling we know what to do because we can see there's an injury there's something wrong going on but when we start looking at emotional well-being then we can start picking picking points saying that person doesn't seem to be their normal self yeah rather than looking at mental health and we just go oh my god i'm not going there when we look at emotional health and emotional well-being we can start picking up these key areas in people's lives where they're not their selves today. What's wrong? What can I do to help that person? Would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. And it could be any one of those particular seven areas that they're struggling with. So it could be, well, actually, I'm having financial issues, which is causing me stress. Um, I feel anxious about it because I'm not in control of it. That's affecting your mental health. So it could be, let's look at what's underlying of the issue because it won't be mental health. It will be an issue that is triggered yeah. either poor mental health or, or going into a mental illness so let's look at mine for instance we go back into the story again my mental health deteriorated because it was a, a complex interplay of lots of situations um psychological emotional lots of different things took me to that point that i wanted to end my so complex interplay uh, of lots of things so even going back to work, if we look at going back to work at the moment, people are going to be struggling with anxiety, yeah. anxiety of going back into the workplace. So that could be for a number of reasons. They've become accustomed now to a life of living at home, but now you've got to create that plan or maybe they haven't. They're thinking about, I'm going back into the workplace. I haven't thought about childcare. I haven't thought who's looking after the animals. I've been told I've got to go back next week. What's the plan? Oh, I don't know. How does that make you feel? Even me talking about it then, it's like, oof. Well, that could be too much for some. Yeah. And again, if we look at the beginning of this pandemic, when most people were told at the drop of a hat that they've got to work from home, how did that affect people's mental We don't quite know yet. We don't actually know, but we know that lots of people will be affected by it. So their mental health, and I've I seen this a few weeks ago, of the scale, and it's always on a continuum, our mental health. We say 
one to ten, for instance, one being really bad and ten being amazing, uh, we could be anywhere on that continuum at any one point, and we don't know where people are within it. So let's say we just use this scale, one being bad, ten being great. The only way that we would know, which is personal to us, the only way you'd know which is a one or which is a ten to you, when you distinguish what's a one or ten, if we could say, just as simple as this, within the workplace, where are you today with your mental health? Or if, it's, if we're able to talk about it, we say to our line managers, look, my mental health is probably at a three today. Okay, so what does that tell your manager? It says you've both understood that your three means you might actually just need some support or need to go home. But your manager understands that. And what's that cost the organization? Less than the £27,000 that it's going to cost to re-employ somebody because you've just sacked them because you think that they've got poor performance issues and it's not. Steve, do you think that there's a difference between well-being in the workplace and well-being at home? Do you think there's a difference there? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the well-being in the workplace, in fact, is probably not a lot of difference right now because uh, lots of people are actually working from home. But I think the work-life balance is a lot better yeah. um, because we're able to get away from the, the, the desk um, without our manager seeing us. <laughs> Um, but yeah, within the workplace, um, you are there, you're, you're sat at your seat, you know, for eight hours a day, potentially in front of a computer where many people are. Um, the difference is you're constantly under that pressure, you're constantly under that stress. Personally, I don't know about you guys, but I can't sit in front of a computer for any more than an hour. I need to get up and get away. Now imagine being like this for eight hours a day. How do you feel by the end of that day? You're exhausted. You're absolutely exhausted when you're giving your best, your best time, eight hours of your day to your organisation. You need to be looked after. You need to be given that little bit of space. You need the reasonable adjustments. When you need to get up away from your desk, do so. You're not doing it because you don't want to work. You're doing it because you're looking after your mental health. Yeah. Nobody can be forced to be put under that much pressure for that amount of time. I know like a lot of people we speak to, and I know when I've worked in office scenarios before, which I've worked in a few, a lot of people don't take time for lunch um, and you feel guilty if you have to get up and walk out from your desk, except for if you're a smoker, because the smokers will get up and they'll go outside and they'll have their, their fag breaks. But it's like, well, if I'm not a smoker, is it okay for me to get up? Because I feel guilty that they're working and I'm getting up to take a mini break. And there's a lot of people that won't even take a lunch break because they feel under pressure. That's so dangerous in my eyes. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. And this is why I go into organisations now and say, look, you know, what happens when your workers just keep going and going and going? Well, it's called burnout. Yeah. They'll struggle with burnout. And what's the average cost for a person struggling with their mental health in the private sector? Well, it's anywhere between fifteen hundred up to three thousand pounds, two thousand four hundred and seventy-five. So per person per year for their mental health. So you know the, the the case for this, the business case for this is can you afford for that, or would you prefer to have invest? into your organization to create individual well-being plans for everyone and you don't have to have poor mental to have these with help employers to have these because then they know each each and every individual works 
So it might be that Katie that sits behind me, like I say, just wants to get up every hour for a five minute walk around the block, which is the equivalent of a cigarette. Yeah. Cost the organisation nothing. And she feels great because one, she's changed her physiology. So we all know, you know, that's good for your mental health getting up. She's not stressed because she's not, she's getting out of her um, peripheral vision. She's getting into peripheral vision, getting out. She's changing if she's feeling stressed, um, anxious, or depressed. So she's gone from the sympathetic nervous system to the parasympathetic nervous system. Yeah. These little things, you know, even breathing, breathing exercises, all these little things that we can do, cost organisations nothing, but they aren't aware of it because, you know, we've been in this, stuck in this time of you must work nine to five. But, but the good news is, you know, this period that we've been in now, even though it's underlined with a lot of negativity, you think about the positives that have come from it. More organisations are saying now to their employees, would you like to work from home more? Well, of course, your work-life balance is better. Have you been more productive? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest questions that I've seen that's been asked quite a lot by employees recently is, how's your mental health? Really? Because before now, yeah, absolutely. Because before now, it wasn't taken seriously. It was just, oh yeah, that mental health thing. Now it's actually because we're all experiencing it. Then it, it, we're all in this together. We get it, but we're experiencing it differently. We know, need to know how it is for the individual. Because if it, I've been doing a lot of work with the different organisations in different sectors, and the first thing I will ask them is, how are you? They don't always answer that question, but then when I ask it at the end of the session, then it all opens up because I'm creating this awareness, I'm creating this safe space we've been able to talk, we've been able to open up. And then initially it's like, yeah, I'm not too sure if we can say this. By the end of it, it's like, I need to say this because it's been given this opportunity to say. And that's when the employers can act on this. And what I found is it's just small stuff. It's just small stuff like communication. Um, employers need to communicate more with their employees. And when they go back, it's the same. Do you have a plan for the reintegration back into the workplace? And if you don't, please give me a shout because this is what I'm doing. And I think communication is the key because the, the work, if we call it the workers, middle management and upper management, they all have different languages as well. And I think this is fantastic that you're going in and you're teaching them or you're instructing them the same language throughout. So there's continuity about it. So the workers on the ground floor speak the same language when it comes to their emotional well-being as the, the upper management and middle management. Because me and Los done exactly the same. We went into the prison service and we spoke to the prison staff and we spoke to the prisoners. They, t they spoke completely different language and it was at loggerheads all the time when they were asking for help. We went and gave them a simple tool, this and this, and now the staff at that jail can understand the prisoners that we spoke to and they get along better. There's not the loggerheads and they can understand and then we can get things sorted with them. Yeah. So that it's easier for the staff to manage a nice prisoner than it is to manage a horrible prisoner. Well, I say horrible, but a frustrated one. But likewise, the prisoners get less frustration because they, they know they're going to get the support. And I think that's the same when it comes into um, companies. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's no difference. There's no difference whatsoever. It's just bridging that gap of that understanding. Um, and we use this in the course. Stephen Alcovey said it best um, in 
the author of Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, seek first to understand, and that's what we go in with. That the you know the, the senior leadership team need to understand the frustrations of the, their people and the people need to understand the language of the senior leadership teams that they've got different priorities they're doing different jobs they're doing different things language is completely different but when we bridge that gap through a mutual understanding and that mutual understanding is there's a problem and you know they're, they're now more so that people are struggling with their mental health and there's an issue that we can resolve Together, that responsibility is coming together, working together to get the best possible outcome. So that's what we want. You know, the, in the workplace, we want to work there. We want the, the best possible outcome for you know people and the organisation. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's almost answered my question because I had one of the questions written down: How can your workplace support you to make the transition as easy as possible? Because there's going to be people sat watching this who have maybe gone back to work. They might be struggling a little bit or they're waiting to go back to work and they're a bit anxious. So would you say communication is the key in, in being able to, you know, support, you know, to make the transition as easy as possible? Yeah, absolutely. To make that transition as easy as possible, um, we, well, I use a framework um, and it's just three simple questions, uh, three simple parts rather, and it is things you can do whilst you're off work. So right now you're in this period of what can I do to build up my confidence and stamina whilst I'm at work to get back? So um, an example of this is you start getting back up at the time you were used to getting up when you did your traveling to work so that way it makes it less of a problem when you do have to go back and that alarm goes back off at six start doing the little things now maybe you don't have to do it all week maybe you just start with once or twice start getting dressed as if you were going to work if you haven't been because that will be a big part as well when you go back in um one do your clothes still fit you if not speak to these guys they will help you out on that one um but things like that it's just the little things that you can do um and also think about when you do go back even making your lunches like you would do when you're going back into the workplace because the chances are you haven't been doing this um, and it's easy to forget it's easy not to do and then we look at um, a plan whilst you're off uh, so preparing to go back into the workplace um, so what would you do would you speak to colleagues you start getting in touch with them do you make um, a lunch date with your manager things like that just to catch back up with things have a look at the emails see what's going on within the organization slowly building your tolerance and your stamina back up and then thirdly what we look at is the starting back of we look at the first day and we also look at the first week so what will i be doing in the first day so i've got a clear plan what will i be doing in the first week what reasonable adjustments would i need from my manager right now i.e working hours and environment to make it easier to go back into now if i had somebody come up to me um you know, if I had an organization with several people, hundreds of people, and they said, Look, I've got this plan, I'd love to discuss this with you. Um, it's just a small things, few things that I need to do. You'd want to listen, right? Yeah. Like, okay, so you just need me to do this for you, and it would be a lot easier to feel the transition back in. Yeah, you've got a plan. And because you've created that plan that works for you and that works for the organization, so just communicating it, that's it. Yeah. Now, if I had this, again, in hindsight, if I had this mm -hmm. back in 2015, the chances are I wouldn't be sat here today. 
I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'm grateful for the experience, but I'm also grateful for what I've learned in that time, in that five-year period, because I know not everyone, A, will make it. Yeah. I'm being completely honest, not everybody will make it to the point that I have. Or it will take a lot longer. I, I've been lucky. I've, I've been fortunate. I've had a lot of time off. I couldn't go back for three years into the workplace after that um, burnout and experience or back into the same industry. Yeah. because it was too stressful and yeah. um, there was too much responsibility i was not any longer cut out for that job yeah i still have small things that you know i have to deal with now i still got you know that that, that that haven't quite fixed but it's a work in progress but i like to tell people this because you know i'm now one of only 100 suicide first aid tutors in the country to deliver what i deliver mm -hmm. but it's not without its faults it's far from perfect but the thing is i'm working on it every single day which is great i've got a plan and it works and it's working for me and i haven't been ill in five years so that just proves how powerful this creation of a plan of a strategy of what to do so it eases my daily life and i don't have to worry i've got little to no worry in my life because i look after all seven of those well-being areas do you know what that's really interesting because i think and that's what we do. I mean, one of our key um, values in, in Rock Solid is ownership. And I think sometimes we always think the, it's the employer's responsibility, but it's actually as much their responsibility as it is our responsibility, isn't it? So, yeah, okay, that's fine. Get the employer to get you a plan, all that sort of stuff. But what could we do as an employee to help with our well-being that will then, you know, complement that? absolutely and it is it's 50 50 it's a responsibility so your employer doesn't look after you when you're outside of work yeah. doesn't keep you well but what they've got a responsibility to is make sure that you're okay within when you're in their place so it's like me coming to your house you know that i'm sure that you'd make me feel extremely welcome if you came to your house i'd do the same if you came to mine it's no different when we go to work you know we're there for eight hours a day they've got a responsibility to make sure that you're okay to look after you but but you've got to take that responsibility too it is equal responsibility and you've got to do and show what's best for you what works for you share that responsibility with the employers um, and then it makes for a happy workplace I know, especially for me, um, being in the police and obviously managing my own mental health, you know, um, obviously I was given medication and, you know, and my workplace helped me. My sergeant was amazing, but I still had to do my bit. You know, we have our six pillars of health, which are the um, sleep, water, food, exercise, thought management and me time. Do you know what I mean? And it's mm. like I had to do those as well. And I had to make sure I was taking responsibility that for those. We can't just put it on everyone else and expect them to do it. And it's quite empowering as well, isn't it? When you're able to look after yourself, it, it, like your seven areas, obviously the six, which kind of tie over. Mm yeah absolutely and it is it, it's it's great to have that responsibility and the more you build into it the more you want to take on but you do it for you you know it's not being forced upon you and you create a world and a life that works well for you um and, and that's the most important thing especially in recovery and i'm happy to say i'm in recovery 
um, building a new life, creating new things, finding out what works well for me. Um, and that's one of, uh, one of the great joys of life now that I've got. A, I've never had responsibility before 2000. Now, you know, the responsibility that I've got now is more than what I had back then. But because I'm consciously aware of what I've got to do to stay well and, you know, they're creating this life that I want for me on my terms. Uh, and I'm absolutely loving it because I'm in control. But when I'm not in control, I've got things to do that help me to get me back to that place. Love it. Steve, this has been so enlightening. It's been brilliant. And I really hope for anybody that's listening, if you're an employee or an employer, that it's really helped you to open up your mind to how important it is to look after your well-being to make sure you perform the best and not be afraid to talk about it in the workplace. I think it's a conversation that needs to be had across every single business. I really, really do. And that's why I think the work that you're doing is so important. And, you know, yeah, okay, it's not nice what you went through, but I'm kind of grateful that you went through it so that you can give yeah. it to the world. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know what? I have to agree with you there. I had this conversation yesterday. With some people, it will make them bitter, or some people, it will make them better. I went through the bitter stage, I won't lie, but it's made me better. Um, it's made me more empathetic of other people's struggles. Um, yeah, and there's times I don't always get it right, but you know what? I'm still learning too, but it's made me better. And that experience that I had, and I absolutely agree with you, it was horrific. I wouldn't wish it on anyone. One, I'm, I'm grateful to be alive. Two, I'm grateful for choices. And three, I'm grateful for love. And I say those three, those three things that I'm grateful for every single day because now I don't take life for granted. I don't take anything for granted. It keeps me humble and then I'm able to help other people more. Amazing. Absolutely love it. Steve, if people want to get in contact with you, learn more about what you do, even if they are the management, they want to bring you into it. How do people find out who you are, where you, where you do, what you do, how you do it and so forth? Sure. Um, well, firstly, you can drop me an email at steve at mindcanyon.co.uk if you'd like to learn more if you're, or if you'd like some information about the courses that I run. Um, they're mental health general awareness well-being in the workplace and um, those toolkits will help you um, if you're struggling not only in the workplace but at home so that's the toolkits that i use um, and then we've got returning to work after a period of absence um, like the workshops that i'll be running from the 7th of july twice uh, twice a day on a tuesday every single tuesday so you can check those out on eventbrite and i also run the suicide first aid light courses every thursday between one and three 3 p.m. just a three-hour course again it's on eventbrite but if you want to check me out on um, www.mindcanyon.co.uk um, you can also check me out on twitter mindcanyonmh and instagram uh, but yeah drop me a line i'm also on facebook uh, so yeah got a facebook page steve Carr, mental health workplace wellbeing suicide first aid trainer and mind canyon mental health and mental fitness <laughs> and i tell you what Baz and i have done um the well-being in the workplace and it was amazing it was really really good and as you say that's not just going to help you in the workplace but actually help you outside as well so yeah i think um i think that's a must for everybody to be honest get with on you. board definitely 
Guys, thank you so much for watching. And Steve, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, you know, if this has, you know, um, struck a chord with you um, and it's helped you, maybe you want to give it a share for somebody. You never know who you're going to help today. It could just be that one person that needs to hear this. Uh, you never know. You could also share it with your manager, maybe. <laughs> you know, yes. and you sort of put it under their nose as to something that they might want to watch. But guys, the reason we bring you these things is because we want to create um, a planet of happy healthy people where we can find our own version of health and well-being that works for us because we're all individual and we all need these separate things so guys thank you so much for watching we really appreciate it and we will see you all very soon on the next one thanks for listening to this episode of the fit mind project please support us on itunes and spotify by rating us and leaving us a review it helps us so much you can also watch these podcasts on youtube or on our rock solid facebook page at rock solid health this is what we're all about we're about growing a community of like-minded people that want to change their lives to feel better than they are at the moment we help them find their version of health so they can be healthier and happier. And remember guys, you're awesome.